You know, you can't have a German beer festival without a few good German beer drinking songs. So tonight we're going to teach you one of our most popular ditties. Everybody come up. We're going to sing Ein Prosit. And here's how it goes. Ein Prosit, Ein Prosit, der Gemütlichkeit. Ein Prosit, Ein Prosit, der Gemütlichkeit. Ein, zwei, drei, super. Zicke, zacke, zicke, zacke. Zicke, zacke, zicke, zacke. Groß, super. Trink. I smack good, yeah. Well, we made it to episode 14 of Murky Chronicles. I'm Dave the Butcher Dabashi. And I am gorgeous Kenny Roberts. Happy October. Happy October <laughs> Fest, <laughs> brother. Yeah. Yes, yes. And, and you know, I kind of worked a little magic and I dedicated that intro, intro to you, gorgeous Kenny Roberts. Well, thanks a lot, brother. Yes, this is my favorite time of year, uh, pre pre Halloween season, and right then it's Oktoberfest. Even though it's not October yet in Germany, it's it's pretty much drinking season for the next couple of weeks. So, and here too in the states. So, I'm celebrating my forefathers. Uh, uh, it's a two. It's been around for over two hundred years. So, yeah. you know they're doing something right. So. Well, yeah, no, thanks for adding that. That's pretty awesome. Oh, uh, no problem. No problem. Uh, me and my son went to the Puyallup Fair. And yes, I still call it the Puyallup Fair, not the West the, uh, Washington State Fair. And and I don't know if it's German or Russian. or I had this, um, what was it? It was like a a dumpling, like a French roll, like, you know, like dough. And inside it uh-huh. had, had uh, well, they had different varieties. And I asked the lady, I said, what's your favorite? And she said, beef and cheese. And I ate it and it was good. It was like a round dinner roll and stuffed inside was, you know, goodies and stuff. No, I've, I've even seen like a, a Korean dish like that too. So I'm not really sure. Well, no, the, um, I know what you're talking about, a dumpling, but this was called, uh, I forget. I, I explained it to someone at the gym today, and they said they thought they thought they knew what I was talking about, but that was Russian. But yeah, it was just oh, like, very well could be. That's yeah, pretty cool. But I don't know. I thought it was German, Russian, all European. You know, right? Yeah, it's all on the other side of the world, right? Yeah, exactly. But whatever it was, it was good, man. It was really good. It was just like a, you know, like a heart. It was like a soft, fresh dinner roll. You know, kind of glazed on, not glazed, but you know, shiny on the outside. You know. It's a nice little, nice. but they packed that. It was good. It was good. There's a nice little German bakery over in Lakewood. You should try try out as well. If I still lived in town, I'd I'd be over there at this moment getting some. They got some nice baked goods there. Well, um, nice pretzels and stuff like that. Right over in the old Lakewood, uh, not town center, but like the old colonial. Yes, area I know what there. you're talking about. Well, yeah, they opened up pre-COVID. I don't know if it's still around. But they they have oh. a, 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 a it still might be I don't know, but it's an authentic uh, a German restaurant. Oh, nice! Yeah, so that's worth checking out. Yeah. Yep. But yep. So yep. So prost to you, brother. Drink one down when you get a chance. Yep, I'll drink um, some. It, 
until uh, the Matrix first Sunday of October. So <laughs> it's going to be going on for a little while. So our next show, I will definitely be doing a pros to everybody as well. So uh, yeah, yep, yep, yep. Um, I was going to say something. You're not going to uh, Hump and Hannah's, are you? Nope, nope. Going to a place called Powder House tonight, and uh, we're getting dressed up in uh, my leader hosen. My wife's getting dressed up in her dirndl, and we're going all German aesthetic tonight. Ooh, that sounds sexy. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> so, well, yeah, it's going to be a good time. Good times. I came up, I got a couple lists here. And of course, we're going to keep in the, the 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 German or the European theme, and we have a great story at the end of our at the end of our talk called Dracula's Guest. But uh, oh, nice! Yeah, but leading up to that, or well, before that, I have some facts about Oktoberfest. I got some five fun facts, and I know you have a list of some sort. I don't know who wants to go first, but um. What would you have? Uh, let's see. I mean, what's, you your know, li- what, what's your list about? Uh, it's about Oktoberfest. Oh, okay. And so, uh, yeah, go. you go ahead. Me? Okay. Yes. Well, one of my fun facts I looked into, it said around 6 million visitors during the Oktoberfest in September and October, around... S- like it says, around 6 million people visit Oktoberfest in Munich. Is that how you say it? Yep. Munich. Beer tents, carousels, and many other attractions invite visitors to spend time on the festival grounds. So, you know, over well, 6 million. And you know, it's, it's, it's canceled this year in Germany. Oh, that sucks. Due to COVID. Well, well, but I'm sure they're going to be drinking in their home or something. Right. Uh, you know, and some of my facts, they, they've canceled it 24 times, but you can't stop pouring the beer. So in 200 years, Oktoberfest has been canceled 24 times. The cause is mostly due to war and to epidemics. Wow. So, you know, so it's, it's been a thing over the, over the years. So that's quite unfortunate, but hopefully we, we live on, we keep on. Keep on doing our Oktoberfest every year. Just we gotta try and stay healthy as best we can and drink a lot of life. drink a lot of beer yeah. to drown out and sterilize your body to get the viruses out, right? Yep, that's right. <laughs> All right. <clears throat> Here's one. Visitors drink around seven point five million liters of beer in total each year, around seven point five million liters of beer. Are drank or drunk. Uh, beer you'll find during the festival is brewed within the city limits of Munich, and the beer is always sold in one liter mugs. Have you ever That's drink? Right. A, have you ever drink a liter of mug beer? A, a liter of mug? <laughs> well, whatever. <laughs> liter of mug or? Yes. Yeah. That's all. I, that's all they sell it in is liters. And, uh, you know, the most I've done is five, so that's quite a bit of beer. Wow. Um, right on. Yeah. Okay. And so, and here's another fun factoid. Um, you know, nobody raises their mug until the mayor says so. Really? So since, yeah, so since 1950, the festival 
has started after the official gun salute and the mayor shouting, uh, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to torture it. You know, oh, Zappas is, I don't even know. It's, it's called, it's tapped in German. So, yep. So, and once he does that, made the drinking commence. Wow. Wow. So they can't, they don't drink until he raises his mug? Yep, that's the official start of Oktoberfest. Wow. How about if he's late? Well, uh, you know. <laughs> some guys, I'm sure they've, they've already started. But uh, uh, unless it's a, you know, a total respect thing for the mayor, who knows? Okay. Okay. Well, this one I have here says, um, many of the visitors want to be reminded of the great time they had at Oktoberfest. What's better than a beer mug to remind them of the beer festival? And so in 2014, a total of 112,000 mugs were stolen. Have you ever, like, five-fingered a mug? No, you got to buy them. No, you buy them, you buy them before you get your first beer. So. You, but think about it. They break them all the time. What's the difference? Uh, well, these ones are commemorative. They have the, the date stamped on them. They got them behind the counter. So. Oh. Yeah. I th- I'm, th- I'm thinking they're just, well, who knows? Yeah, it's a little different than when you go to a typical bar and they give you a mug of beer. It's, okay. You know, they got it behind the counter and, uh, you Is know, it? you walk up, pour, they pour your beer in the mug and you pay for the mug and the beer and you're away you go. Is it called so. a stein or something? Yep, the stein. Why don't, why don't you... Uh, Form a t- tag team called the Steiner Brothers. What? Steiner yeah, Brothers. The original Steiner Brothers. I couldn't. Uh, I couldn't top those. Guys. Yeah, but they were the Steiner Brothers. You'd be the Steiner Brothers. Right. <laughs> that's funny. Oh, uh, that's good stuff. So here's another one. Okay. Um, let's see. So, it, so during Oktoberfest, it's it's. Uh, traditional for visitors to wear Bavarian hats. So the more more hair on the hat, the wealthier you are. What? More this hair? Is the more, this is more tufts of goat hair on your hat, the wealthier it's considered to be. Oh, wow. So that was, that was back in the day. Now it's just the synthetic lame they... version of what, what it once used to be. So this is this is old school uh, factoid. Do Germans, do German people eat a lot of goat? They must. Okay. I know they like their duck. Goose? Uh, I don't know about that. Duck, duck, goose? Ah. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. All right. Here's my last fun fact. Uh, on my other list, I'm going to have a fun time um, saying these uh, German names. Uh, but anyways. Oh, there you go. You're going to butcher it. This one is. Uh, Did you get that? Yeah, I got that. <laughs> <laughs> anyways. <laughs> I snorted. All right. The Meininger Hotel in Munich City. Uh, it's only a few minutes away from Weizen. 
and the most important fact for all guests at our Meininger Hotel next to Oktoberfest is the, the Wizen is the only, like I said, it was only a few minutes away by foot and, and only 600 meters away from our lobby to the Oktoberfest. To be precise, be part of Oktoberfest and stay with us in September or October. Uh, I didn't really get that, but it was all over the place. Well, I also see they have Red Cross tents on t- on site for people that get too drunk and either get injured or, or uh, you know, get a little too alcohol poisoned. So that's, that's pretty cool, you know. <laughs> they expect that. Wow. Wow. Is there any alcoholics in Germany? I think it's just a lifestyle, man. Okay. Well, do you got any more facts you want to throw out? Uh, I, I just... um, let's see. Let's see. I'm, I'm not seeing anything that's worthwhile. Uh, you know, they especially brew the, the the beers, especially for Oktoberfest. So it's not like beer you can get all year, year round. round. Yep. So that's that's a good thing. That sounds cool. You eat a lot of bratwurst, I bet. Right. I like the German oh, women. Oh, here's one. Here's the, here's my last one. All right. Vomit-proof sneakers for Oktoberfest. Nice. So much beer is being consumed, it's obvious that some people might feel sick and end up puking. And that's why Adidas recently released a limited edition vomit-proof sneakers inspired by Oktoberfest. Dude, if I would have known that, I would have had a, I would have had a pair. Well, that's awesome. that is. Why don't Nike do one and call it Just Puke It? Oh, my God. <laughs> or Run DMC <laughs> could do the theme song for Adidas. Puke this way, puke this way. It's tree to puke around to puke around. That's right. Hot time is pukey. It's pukey, pukey, puke. Here we go. Uh oh, gorgeous Kenny Roberts. Looks like he. Uh, I scared him on my uh, uh, my singing. We are calling them right now. It's ringing. Brother, did you hang up on me? No. Did you hang up on me? No, I was on the internet. Oh, wow. No, I, I, no, I did. It just dropped when I started singing. I was like, we're, we're recording. We're still recording. Live to record. And, and nice. it, 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 I was like, oh, gorgeous Kenny oh. Roberts must not like my singing. No, it was not bad. It, it, I mean, uh, I could give you a recap. It it dropped it dropped the call. You want me? That's how bad. You want me to give you a recap? What I said? Uh no, I think I'm good. All right. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, you know, I know Oktoberfest leads into October, and you know we're into a lot of this stuff and. I got I got a list here. Top ten scariest creatures in European folklore. Folklore. Nice. What you got for us? What I got for us? 
Okay. Enlighten us all. And I I wanted to surprise myself too. So when I did some homework, I just printed it out and I just looked at some of the countries or, you know, I was like, oh my gosh. So the first one, number 10 was from Wolfertinger, Germany. Have you heard of that? No. Okay. To all our Germany peeps. That's for sure. You nailed it. Yeah, well, all of our Germany peeps, we we do got listeners in Germany. We want to say we do appreciate you. And don't hold Gordis Kinney Roberts or the show responsible for me butchering, like I said, butchering your your the name. So I am sorry. I love your food. I love your women. I love your culture. But anyways, this one, the legend has it that a mysterious creature roams the alpine forest of... Bavaria, and this animal is not particularly large or vicious, but nonetheless, it can be quite scary to some. Okay, I think you you've seen this one before. Um, there's no definition of a Wolfenganger. Oh, you know what? Maybe that wasn't the name of the city. I think that was the name of the creature for that. For Germany, I totally apologize, but the Wolfenginger, okay, okay, so it it describes it kind of small, and it's like different body parts of various animals, like, for instance, head of a rabbit, body of a squirrel, legs of a pheasant, and antlers with antlers and wings, and uh, yeah, yeah, I I remember seeing, have you ever seen a picture of it? I've seen it before. I mean, not personally, but the, the the disturbing assets of it, you know, some people have actually hunted down various woodland creatures to create their own stuff. Wolf and finger. Sounds like Marshall's yeah. Museum. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So now I know, now I know these ain't this, the, the, I mean, the words I couldn't pronounce. That was the creature's name, so I apologize. So this one's from Australia, and it's the Tatzil, the Tatzel worm, and it's a man-sized worm or snake with feline face and a reptilian tail that lives underground in eastern Alps, like Switzerland, Lithuania, uh, Italy, Bavaria, Australia. And in stories, um, uh, it is not reported to be violent against people. And it likes to burrow underground. And it is basically a wolf and vanger that is a big enough to fight back. And you should it should pose a threat. Okay. Any comments? So it looks it's like a big snake like uh, snake creature type deal. Wow. With fangs, almost sounds like a Florida python or something. Oh yeah, remember that movie they did? That was uh, I think Kevin Bacon was in it. Back worms? In the day. No, where it was went under the ground. They made a bunch. Of people oh, not worms! I, tremors. Tremors, yeah. That was good. That's to me, yeah. Yeah. All right, what's your next one? Number eight, black shuck. Black shuck, and this one's from England. And uh, this creature is a ghostly 
is ghostly, huge black dog with devilish red or green eyes that roams the countryside of East Angela. And it says, should you ever have the misfortune in encountering it, you will soon die or at least become seriously ill. Look, let's see. Some say that the legend of Black Shuck may have been the inspiration of a similar creature called Sir Arthur Conan Doyle's The Hound of the Bakersville and blah, 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 blah. Oh, kind of sounds hmm, almost like, uh, like a chupacabra or something or, you know, something... But but it, but if you just see it, you will either get sick or die. So it almost seems more, yeah. Um, yeah. See this next yeah, this next one I have here is called a not ball sack, but a bat <laughs> ball bat b a s i l i s k basilic, and it's from Southern Europe. Did you say balls lick? That's what it sounds like. B A S I L I S K. Perfect. Okay. All right. So where's it from? Southern Europe. And it says here, and I'm just reading through these for the first time. So modern horror stories have truly spoiled us. Let's see. Let's see. Spoiled us with this grand idea of a balls lick. When the creature was first described by Pilney the Elder in the first century A.D., it was nothing more than a venomous snake, no more than 12 figures in link. Additionally, because legends say that a Boslick is created when a... When a... I'm not making this up. When a cock... When a... Cockerel broods on a serpent's or a toad's egg. The Boslick got drawn with more features of a rooster during the Middle Age. Over time, the Boslick became larger and deadlier, you know, with venom and all that stuff. So, this other one... <laughs> Let me keep on reading through these. I got. I'm on number six. <laughs> Let's do the last three. Uh, Let's do the, do okay. the top three. Well, I don't know. I haven't read through. I wanted to surprise myself. Let me look through these. Uh, okay. <laughs> these names. <laughs> white. White whites. It's W H I T E. W I G H T S. So it's either white widgets or white whites. It's from the Netherlands. And oh it's, my God. <laughs> this is okay. I'll read it. This is a short one. I'll read it as it's written. Whoa, is he? <laughs> Who wonders the moors of the northern and eastern Netherlands at night? Stay away from the burial mounts when a frog descends f from them, for it is actually the white whites written, woven in the Dutch. 
the spirits of the deceased woman who roams the countryside at night. In some stories, they are for, fortune tellers who will be of service to anyone who seeks them out. In others, nobody who has ventured into the frog has ever seen the light again. Okay. <laughs> I'll skip that one. Okay, I'll do... I'll do this. Okay, I got one from Romania. There we go. Um, the Kardashians. Oh, no, wrong one. Okay. Um, you didn't laugh at my joke. I know. <laughs> you know so. I was processing the uh, Kardashians. Okay. Stray Goy. S-T-R-I-G-O-I from Romania. The Strigoi can best be described as a proto-vampire. So here we go. When compared to being such as Dracula or Carmela, they are on a very, cro- a very crossroads of being vampires, spirits, and warlocks because of their Diverse nature. Strigoi can roughly be divided into two categories. <laughs> the the, the Strigoi Vui, V-I-U, or living Strigoi and the Strigoi Mort, the dead Strigoi. The living Strigoi are Sorcerers that, according to legend, plagued the countryside and with disease, d- d- disease and death. The death trijoy, however, are more vampiric. They are the corpse that rise again from the grave after death in a search of their victims. Oh, you might like this next one. Let me do this the last one. Well, last one. Well, oh, we got a bonus one too, huh? I guess we do. <laughs> we should have kept that last one for the bonus one, but okay. Let me look. Let me re- Oh, oh. Let me do the last two. I think these are going to be good ones real quick. The Baobus, B-A-U-B-A-S from Lithuania. This creature is like a boogeyman on steroids. Yeah. It's a dark demon that with piercing red eyes, long, thin arms, and a wrinkly fingers who will come and kidnap children who misbehave. Does he have worms hanging out of his mouth? I was just thinking about that. The yeah. boogeyman. I was just thinking about that. It says they're truly horrific. That is, let's see, already, they're already inside the home. The bubis likes to hide under carpets or inside the dark crevices of your house. And this last one, I wanted to read because it had something to do with children. What? The clue. <laughs> the clue, McKing. Clue, McKing. It's not a clown, is it? I don't know. We'll, we're about to find out. The scariest creature on the list has to be the clue, King. It's K-U with the two dots above it. L-M-K-I-N-G, from Estonia. Okay, 
The creature from Estonia mythology is someone like the evil protector of the forest eating children alive when they what? eating children alive. Uh, uh, you know, oh, see, children alive when they bother the forest spirits. The creature, however, isn't a good spirit on a bad day, it is a restless ghost of an unholy dead because of this. You are running the risk of being harassed everywhere in the wild for the Klumaking or Klumaking does not have a fixed haunted place. To make matters worse, some stories tell that if the Klumaking goes through the body of someone, the person becomes evil, thus potentially creating a legion of serial killers. That sounds horrifying. <laughs> oh man! And I, all I've been drinking was um, orange crystal light. Oh man, that's you need to lay off that stuff, man. I gotta lay off something, or maybe I gotta well, lay on me, something. Right, exactly. Well, well I appreciate you coming up with uh, some uh, European uh, horror stories there. Or- Whatever you want to call them. The folklores. Urban legend yes, yes, folklores. Folklore with the L. <sighs> right? Absolutely. <laughs> oh, I wish I was by you. I'd folklore you for sure. Well, yeah, right. Oh, that didn't sound right. Right. No, it didn't sound good at all. Oh, speaking of folklore, I want to give a Well, we're, okay. Well, who's going to give shout out first? Okay, yeah, yep, sounds good. You, you go with your shout. I'll, I'll go shout out this time. You did, you did first last time. Okay, sounds so, good. Yep. Sorry, we're cutting it short tonight. Um, heading off to Oktoberfest festivities, so I appreciate all listening listening to us tonight. Kind of stumbling over my words. I'm pretty excited about getting out of here. What do you got but, in uh, your lips? Want to give a shout out to Emerald Street Kennels, Vince. What's up? Get a hold of them if you need some uh, animal uh, uh, doggy daycare or, you know, kitty cat daycare, whatever you want to call it, or um, overnight stays. Um, they do some, um, what do you call it, kenneling overnight or whatever. And um, let's see, uh, well, shout out to my boy Micah. Um, I'll be partying with him next weekend, Oktoberfest style. Um, he's got to work this weekend, so I'll be doing a post for him. Uh, he does the the uh, Savage Reviews on Google to so check them out. Um, like I said, he, he travels a lot. He does a lot of local stuff here, so check them out if you want to want interested on any of you know restaurants or you know goods and services. He 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 rates everybody. He uh, um, goes and checks out, so it's pretty cool. And then last but not least, Sweet Lowell Poultry. We want to shout out to those guys. They're awesome. They're stitching is bitching. So. That's it for me and my shout-outs, brother. I just want to wish you a happy Oktoberfest. Hoi, hoi, hoi. My first shout-out shout is to Sweet and Low Approacheries. They're stitching his bitching. And they're, sti- they're stitching his bitching. I love that saying. They're stitching you know his bitching. I, you know what? I'm going to steal this one for you. I may I may torture his name, but uh, Pahu Rojo. We want to shout-out to him, right? Yay, yay. Pahu Rojo. 
Okay. Pahu Rojo. Pahu Rojo, host from Tales from the Abyss. A great, <laughs> it's a great and entertaining podcast. Check it out on most of your podcast platforms. My Lyrical and Daily Spit podcast on most of your favorite podcast platforms. Our Lyrical, <laughs> our lyrical Spit <laughs> 24 hour hotline. 360-200-8779. And you may just hear yourself on the show if you leave a message or if you spit. And go to www.lyricalspit.com where you can get the latest shows and links for Murky Chronicles and Lyrical Spit. Anything else to add, gorgeous Kenny Roberts? Just want to send out a post to everybody. Happy Oktoberfest. Happy Oktoberfest. Clink, clink. I should have put a sound effect. So, hashtag. We got yeah, we do. We'll have, we'll have a, a toast sound effect next show. Oh, 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 oh. I forgot the shout out I was about to do. To uh, Michelle Morris um, for Rich House. Um, she's the main actress in that horror flick, and it just won like three or four uh, film, festers, film festivals like in Italy and some other places. So congratulations, and we're trying to set up a time. She wants to come on. We're going to have an awesome horror chick, Michelle Morris to come on and she has some groovy stories for us and scary stories as well. So I guess after all that, be safe, my brother. Uh, um, yeah, well you got the better half with you, so you'll be all right. Um, hashtag save our children. Epstein and McAfee didn't kill themselves. And if she has an apple, she has a banana courtesy of chilling tales for dark nights if you like this story be sure to subscribe to the chilling tales for dark nights youtube channel we'll be right back with dracula's guest right after this brief commercial break dracula's guest written by bram stoker performed by G.M. Danielson. When we started for our drive, the sun was shining brightly in Munich, and the air was full of the joyousness of early summer. Just as we are about to depart, Herr Delbruck, the maitre d'hôtel of the Quatre Saisons where I was staying, came down, bareheaded to the carriage, and, after wishing me a pleasant drive, said to the coachman, still holding his hand upon the carriage door. Remember you are back by nightfall. The sky looks bright, but there is a shiver in the north wind that says there may be a sudden storm. But I am sure you will not be late. Here he smiled and added, For you know what night it is. Johann answered with an emphatic, Ja, mein Herr and touching his hat, drove off quickly. When we had cleared the town, I said after signaling him to stop, Tell me, Johann, what is tonight? 
He crossed himself as he answered laconically, Walpergisnacht. Then he took out his watch, a great old-fashioned German silver thing as big as a turnip, and looked at it with his eyebrows gathered together and a little impatient shrug of his shoulders. I realized that this was his way of respectfully protesting against the unnecessary delay, and sank back into the carriage, merely motioning him to proceed. He started off rapidly, as if to make up for lost time. Every now and then, the horses seemed to throw up their heads and sniffed the air suspiciously. On such occasions, I often looked round in alarm. The road was pretty bleak, for we were traversing a sort of high, wind-swept plateau. As we drove, I saw a road that looked but little used, and which seemed to dip through a little winding valley. It looked so inviting that at every risk of offending him, I called Johann to stop. And when he pulled up, I told him that I should like to drive down that road. He made all sorts of excuses, and frequently crossed himself as he spoke. This somewhat piqued my curiosity, so I asked him various questions. He answered fencingly, and repeatedly looked at his watch in protest. Finally I said, Well, Johann, I want to go down this road. I shall not ask you to come unless you like, but tell me why you do not like to go. That is all I ask. For answer, he seemed to throw himself off the box. So quickly did he reach the ground. Then he stretched out his hands appealingly to me and implored me not to go. There was just enough English mixed with the German for me to understand the drift of his talk. He seemed always just about to tell me something, the very idea of which evidently frightened him. But each time he pulled himself up, saying, as he crossed himself, Walpigesnacht! I tried to argue with him, but it is difficult to argue with a man when I did not know his language. The advantage certainly rested with him, for although he began to speak in English, of the very crude and broken kind, he always got excited and broke off into his native language. And every time he did so, he looked at his watch. Then the horses became restless and sniffed the air. At this, he grew very pale, and looking around in a frightened way, he suddenly jumped forward, took them by the bridles, and led them on some twenty feet. I followed and asked why he had done this. For answer, he crossed himself, pointed to the spot we had left, and drew his carriage in the direction of the other road, indicating a cross, and said, first in German, then in English, Buried him, him what killed themselves. I remembered the old custom of burying suicides at crossroads. Ah, I see, a suicide. How interesting. But for the life of me, I could not make out why the horses were frightened. Whilst we were talking, we heard a sort of sound between a yelp and a bark. 
It was far away, but the horses got very restless, and it took Johann all his time to quiet them. He was pale and said, It sounds like a wolf, but there are no wolves here now. No, I said, questioning him. Isn't it a long time since the wolves were so near the city? Long, long, he answered, in spring and summer. But with the snow, the wolves have been here not so long. Whilst he was petting the horses and trying to quiet them, dark clouds drifted rapidly across the sky. The sunshine passed away, and a breath of cold wind seemed to drift past us. It was only a breath, however, and more in the nature of a warning than a fact, for the sun came out brightly again. Johann looked under his lifted hand at the horizon and said, The storm of snow. He comes before long time. Then he looked at his watch again, and straightway, holding the reins firmly, for the horses were still pouring the ground restlessly and shaking their heads, he climbed to his box, as though the time had come for proceeding on our journey. I felt a little obstinate, and did not at once get into the carriage. Tell me, I said, about this place where the road leads, and I pointed down. Again he crossed himself and mumbled a prayer, before he answered, it is unholy. What is unholy? I inquired. The village. Then there is a village. No, no, no one lives there hundreds of years. My curiosity was piqued. But you say there was a village. There was. Where is it now? Whereupon he burst into a long story in German and English, so mixed up that I could not quite understand exactly what he said, but roughly gathered that long ago, hundreds of years, men had died there and been buried in their graves, and sounds were heard under the clay, and when the graves were opened, men and women were found still rosy with life and their mouths red with blood. And so in haste to save their lives, I and their souls, and here he crossed himself, those who were left fled away to other places where the living lived, and the dead were dead, and not, not something. He was evidently afraid to speak the last words. As he proceeded with his narration, he grew more and more excited. It seemed as if his imagination had got hold of him, and he ended in a perfect paroxysm of fear, white-faced, perspiring, trembling and looking round him, as if expecting some dreadful presence would manifest itself there in the bright sunshine on the plain. Finally, in an agony of desperation, he cried, Walpigesnacht! and pointed to the carriage for me to get in. All my English blood rose at this, and standing back I said, You are afraid, Johann. You are afraid. Go home. I shall return alone. The walk will do me good. The carriage door was open, 
I took from my seat my oak walking stick, which I always carry on my holiday excursions, and closed the door, pointing back to Munich, and said, Go home, Johann. Walpurgisnacht does not concern Englishmen. The horses were now more restive than ever, and Johann was trying to hold them in, while excitedly imploring me not to do anything so foolish. I pitied the poor fellow. He was deeply in earnest. But all the same, I could not help laughing. His English was quite gone now. In his anxiety, he had forgotten that his only means of making me understand was to talk my language. So he jabbered away in his native German. It began to be a little tedious. After giving the direction, home, I turned to go down the crossroad into the valley. With a desperate gesture, Johann turned his horses toward Munich. I leaned on my stick and looked after him. He went slowly along the road for a while. Then there came over the crest of the hill a man, tall and thin. I could see so much in the distance. When he drew near the horses, they began to jump and kick about, then to scream with terror. Johann could not hold them in. They bolted down the road, running away madly. I watched them out of sight, then looked for the stranger, but I found that he too was gone. With a light heart, I turned down the side road, through the deepening valley to which Johann had objected. There was not the slightest reason that I could see for his objection, and I dare say I tramped for a couple of hours without thinking of time or distance, and certainly without seeing a person or house. So far as the place was concerned, it was desolation itself. But I did not notice this particularly till, on turning a bend in the road, I came upon a scattered fringe of wood. Then I recognized that I had been impressed unconsciously by the desolation of the region, through which I had passed. I sat down to rest myself and began to look around. It struck me that it was considerably colder than it had been at the commencement of my walk. A sort of sighing sound seemed to be around me, with now and then, high overhead, a sort of muffled roar. Looking upwards, I noticed that great, thick clouds were drifting rapidly across the sky from north to south at a great height. There were signs of a coming storm in some lofty stratum of air. I was a little chilly, and thinking that it was the sitting still after the exercise of walking, I resumed my journey. The ground I passed over was now much more picturesque. There were no striking objects that the eye might single out, but in all there was a charm of beauty. I took little heed of time, and it was only when the deepening twilight forced itself upon me that I began to think of how I should find my way home. The brightness of the day was gone. The air was cold, and the drifting of clouds high overhead was more marked. They were accompanied by a sort of faraway rushing sound, through which seemed to come at intervals that mysterious cry which the driver had said came from a wolf.
For a while, I hesitated. I had said I would see the deserted village, so on I went, and presently came to a wide stretch of open country, shut in by hills all around. Their sides were covered with trees, which spread down the plain, dotting in clumps the gentler slopes and hollows, which showed here and there. I followed with my eye the winding of the road, and saw that it curved close to one of the densest of these clumps, and was lost behind. As I looked, there came a cold shiver in the air, and the snow began to fall. I thought of the miles and miles of bleak country I had passed, and then hurried on to seek the shelter of the wood in front. Darker and darker grew the sky, and faster and heavier fell the snow, till the earth before and all around me was a glistening white carpet, the further edge of which was lost in misty vagueness. The road was here but crude, and when on the level its boundaries were not so marked as when it passed through the cuttings, and in a little while I found that I must have strayed from it, for I missed underfoot the hard surface, and my feet sank deeper into the grass and moss. Then the wind grew stronger and blew with ever-increasing force till I was fain to run before it. The air became icy cold, and in spite of my exercise, I began to suffer. The snow was now falling so thickly and whirling about me in such rapid eddies that I could hardly keep my eyes open. Every now and then, the heavens were torn asunder by vivid lightning, and in the flashes, I could see ahead of me a great mass of trees, chiefly yew and cypress, all heavily coated with snow. I was soon amongst the shelter of the trees, and there, in comparative silence, I could hear the rush of the wind high overhead. Presently, the blackness of the storm had become merged in the darkness of the night. By and by, the storm seemed to be passing away. It now only came in fierce puffs or blasts. At such moments, the weird sound of the wolf appeared to be echoed by many similar sounds around me. Now and again, through the black mass of drifting cloud, came a straggling ray of moonlight, which lit up the expanse and showed me that I was at the edge of a dense mass of cypress and yew trees. As the snow had ceased to fall, I walked out from the shelter and began to investigate more closely. It appeared to me that Amongst so many old foundations as I had passed, there might be still standing a house in which, though in ruins, I could find some sort of shelter for a while. As I skirted the edge of the copse, I found that a low wall encircled it, and following this I presently found an opening. Here the cypresses formed an alley leading up to a square mass of some kind of building. Just as I caught sight of this, however, the drifting clouds obscured the moon, and I passed up the path in darkness. The wind must have grown colder, for I felt myself shiver as I walked. But there was hope of shelter 
and I groped my way blindly on. I stopped, for there was a sudden stillness. The storm had passed, and perhaps in sympathy with nature's silence, my heart seemed to cease to beat. But this was only momentarily, for suddenly the moonlight broke through the clouds, showing me that I was in a graveyard, and that the square object before me was a great, massive tomb of marble, as white as the snow that lay on all around it. With the moonlight, there came a fierce sigh of the storm, which appeared to resume its course with a long, low howl, as of many dogs or wolves. I was awed and shocked, and felt the cold perceptibly grow upon me till it seemed to grip me by the heart. Then, while the flood of moonlight still fell on the marble tomb, the storm gave further evidence of renewing, as though it was returning on its track. Impelled by some sort of fascination, I approached the sepulchre to see what it was, and why such a thing stood alone in such a place. I walked around it, and read over the Doric door in German, Countess Dolingen of Graz, in Styria, sought and found death, 1801. On the top of the tomb, seemingly driven through the solid marble, for the structure was composed of a few vast blocks of stone, was a great iron spike, or stake. On going to the back, I saw graven in great Russian letters, The dead travel fast. There was something so weird and uncanny about the whole thing that it gave me a turn and made me feel quite faint. I began to wish for the first time that I had taken Johann's advice. Here a thought struck me, which came under almost mysterious circumstances and with a terrible shock. This was Valpagus Night. Valpagus Night, when according to the belief of millions of people, the devil was abroad, when the graves were opened, and the dead came forth and walked, when all evil things of the earth and air and water held revel. This very place the driver had specially shunned. This was the depopulated village of centuries ago. This was where the suicide lay. And this was the place where I was alone, unmanned, shivering with cold in a shroud of snow with a wild storm gathering again upon me. It took all of my philosophy, all of the religion I had been taught, all my courage not to collapse in a paroxysm of fright. And now, a perfect tornado burst upon me. The ground shook as though thousands of horses thundered across it. And this time, the storm bore on its icy wings not snow, but great hailstones, which drove with such violence that they might have come from the thongs of Baleric slingers. Hailstones that beat down leaf and branch and made the shelter of the cypresses of no more avail than though their stems were standing corn. At the first, I had rushed to the nearest tree, 
but I was soon fain to leave it and seek the only spot that seemed to afford refuge. The deep, Doric doorway of the marble tomb. There, crouching against the massive bronze door, I gained a certain amount of protection from the beating of the hailstones, for now they only drove against me as they ricocheted from the ground and the side of the marble. As I leaned against the door, it moved slightly and opened inwards. The shelter of even a tomb was welcome in that pitiless tempest, and I was about to enter it when there came a flash of forked lightning that lit up the whole expanse of the heavens. In the instant, as I am a living man, I saw as my eyes were turned into the darkness of the tomb, a beautiful woman with rounded cheeks and red lips, seemingly sleeping on a bier. As the thunder broke overhead, I was grasped as by the hand of a giant and hurled out into the storm. The whole thing was so sudden that before I could realize the shock, moral as well as physical, I found the hailstones beating me down. At the same time, I had a strange, dominating feeling that I was not alone. I looked towards the tomb. Just then, there came another blinding flash which seemed to strike the iron stake that surmounted the tomb and to pour through it to the earth, blasting and crumbling the marble as in a burst of flame. The dead woman rose for a moment of agony while she was lapped in the flame, and her bitter scream of pain was drowned in the thunder crash. The last thing I heard was this mingling of dreadful sound, as again I was seized in the giant grasp and dragged away, while the hailstones beat on me, and the air around seemed reverberant with the howling of wolves. The last sight that I remembered was a vague, white, moving mass, as if all the graves around me had sent out the phantoms of their sheeted dead, and that they were closing in on me through the white cloudiness of the driving hail. Gradually, there came a sort of vague beginning of consciousness, then a sense of weariness that was dreadful. For a time, I remembered nothing. But slowly, my senses returned. My feet seemed positively racked with pain, yet I could not move them. They seemed to be numbed. There was an icy feeling at the back of my neck and all down my spine, and my ears, like my feet, were dead, yet in torment. But there was in my breast a sense of warmth which was, by comparison, delicious. It was as a nightmare, a physical nightmare, if one may use such an expression, for some heavy weight on my chest made it difficult for me to breathe. This period of semi-lethargy seemed to remain a long time, and as it faded away, I must have slept or swooned. Then came a sort of loathing, like the first stage of seasickness, and a wild desire to be free from something. I knew not what. A vast stillness enveloped me, 
as though all the world were asleep or dead, only broken by the low panting as of some animal close to me. I felt a warm rasping at my throat. Then came the consciousness of the awful truth, which chilled me to the heart and sent the blood surging up through my brain. Some great animal was lying on me and now licking my throat. I feared to stir, for some instinct of prudence bade me to lie still. But the brute seemed to realize that there was now some change in me, for it raised its head. Through my eyelashes I saw above me the two great flaming eyes of a gigantic wolf. Its sharp white teeth gleamed in the gaping red mouth, and I could feel its hot breath, fierce and acrid upon me. For another spell of time, I remembered no more. Then I became conscious of a low growl, followed by a yelp, renewed again and again. Then, seemingly very far away, I heard a hola, hola, as of many voices calling in unison. Cautiously, I raised my head and looked in the direction of whence the sound came, but the cemetery blocked my view. The wolf still continued to yelp in a strange way, and a red glare began to move round the grove of cypresses, as though following the sound. As the voices drew closer, the wolf yelped faster and louder. I feared to make either sound or motion. Nearer came the red glow, over the white pole which stretched into the darkness around me. Then all at once from beyond the trees, there came at a trot a troop of horsemen bearing torches. The wolf rose from my breast and made for the cemetery. I saw one of the horsemen, soldiers by their caps and long military cloaks, raise his carbine and take aim. A companion knocked up his arm, and I heard the ball whiz over my head. He had evidently taken my body for that of the wolf. Another sighted the animal as it slunk away, and a shot followed. Then at a gallop, the troop rode forward, some toward me, others following the wolf as it disappeared among the snow-clad cypresses. As they drew nearer, I tried to move, but was powerless, although I could hear all that went on around me. Two or three of the soldiers jumped from their horses and knelt beside me. One of them raised my head and placed his hand on my heart. Good news, comrades, he said. His heart still beats. Then some brandy was poured down my throat. It put vigor into me, and I was able to open my eyes fully and look around. Lights and shadows were moving among the trees, and I heard men call to one another. They drew together, uttering frightened exclamations, and the lights flashed as the others came pouring out of the cemetery pell-mell, like men possessed. When the further ones came close to us, those who were around me asked them eagerly, Well, have you, have you found him? The reply rang out hurriedly, No, no, come away, quick, quick! This is no place to stay, and on this of all nights. 
What was it? Was the question asked among all manner of keys. The answer came variously, and all indefinitely, as though the men were moved by some common impulse to speak, yet were restrained by some common fear from giving their thoughts. It, it, it indeed, gibbered one, whose wits had plainly given out for the moment. A wolf, and yet not a wolf, another put in shudderingly. No use trying for him without the sacred bullet, a third remarked in a more ordinary manner. Serve us right for coming out into this night. Truly we have earned our thousand marks, were the ejaculations of a fourth. There was blood on the broken marble, another said after a pause. The lightning never brought that there. And for him, is he safe? Look at his throat. See, comrades, the wolf has been lying on him and keeping his blood warm. The officer looked at my throat and replied, He is all right. The skin is not pierced. What does it all mean? We should never have found him but for the yelping of the wolf. What became of it? asked the man who was holding up my head and who seemed the least panic-stricken of the party, for his hands were steady and without tremor. On his sleeve was the chevron of a petty officer. It went to its horn, answered the man, whose long face was pallid and who actually shook with terror as he glanced around him fearfully. There are graves enough there in which it may lie. Come, comrades, come quickly. Let us leave this cursed spot. The officer raised me to a sitting posture as he uttered a word of command. Then several men placed me upon a horse. He sprang into the saddle behind me, took me in his arms, gave the word to advance, and turning our faces away from the cypresses, we rode away in swift military order. As yet, my tongue refused its office, and I was perforce silent. I must have fallen asleep, for the next thing I remembered was finding myself standing up, supported by a soldier on each side of me. It was almost broad daylight, and to the north, a red streak of sunlight was reflected like a path of blood over the waste of snow. The officer was telling the men to say nothing of what they had seen, except that they had found an English stranger guarded by a large dog. Dog that was no dog, cut in the man who had exhibited such fear. I think I know a wolf when I see one. The young officer answered calmly, I said, a dog. Dog, reiterated the other ironically. It was evident that his courage was rising with the sun, and pointing to me, he said, Look at his throat. Is that the work of a dog master? Instinctively, I raised my hand to my throat, and as I touched it, I cried out in pain. The men crowded round to look, some stooping down from their saddles. And again there came the calm voice of the young officer. A dog, as I said. If aught else were said, we should only be laughed at. I was then mounted behind a trooper, 
and we rode into the suburbs of Munich. Here we came across a stray carriage, into which I was lifted, and it was given off to the Quatre Saison, the young officer accompanying me, whilst the trooper followed with his horse, and the others rode off to their barracks. When we arrived, Herr Delbruck rushed so quickly down the steps to meet me that it was apparent he had been watching within. Taking me by both hands, he solicitously led me in. The officer saluted me and was turning to withdraw when I recognized his purpose and insisted that he should come to my rooms. Over a glass of wine, I warmly thanked him and his brave comrades for saving me. He replied simply that he was more than glad and that Herr Delbruck had at the first taken steps to make all the searching party pleased, at which ambiguous utterance the maitre d'hôtel smiled while the officer pleaded duty and withdrew. But Herr Delbruck, I inquired, how and why was it that the soldiers searched for me? He shrugged his shoulders, as if in depreciation of his own deed, as he replied, I was fortunate as to obtain lead from the commander of the regiment in which I served, to ask for volunteers. How did you know I was lost? I asked. The driver came hither with the remains of his carriage, which had been upset when the horses ran away. But surely you would not send a search party of soldiers merely on this account? Oh no, he answered. But even before the coachman arrived, I had this telegram from the boyar, whose guest you are. And he took from his pocket a telegram, which he handed to me, and I read. B-Streets Be careful of my guest. His safety is most precious to me. Should aught happen to him, or if he be missed, spare nothing to find him and ensure his safety. He is English and therefore adventurous. There are often dangers from snow and wolves at night. Lose not a moment if you suspect harm to him. I answer your zeal with my fortune. Draculia. As I held the telegram in my hand, the room seemed to whirl about me, and if the attentive maitre d'hôtel had not caught me, I think I should have fallen. There was something so strange in all this, something so weird and impossible to imagine, that there grew on me a sense of my being in some way the sport of opposite forces, the mere vague idea of which seemed in a way to paralyze me. I was certainly under some form of mysterious protection. From a distant country had come in the very nick of time a message that took me out of the danger of the snow sleep and the jaws of the wolf. Thank you for downloading and listening, and please spread the word. Subscribe and follow Murky Chronicles on Spotify, Amazon, iHeartRadio, Apple Podcasts, and on most of your favorite podcast platforms. You can get all the show links at lyricalspit.com.
help keep this show free by buying some of our swag of apparel at butcherspit.com. We have t-shirts, hoodies, and even baby onesies. That's butcherspit.com.